2022, difficult year. Financially, interest rates on the up, share market, share markets on the down, particularly tech stocks. And then the cryptocurrency exchange FTX collapsed last week. Even house prices are starting to fall. What will all this mean for global markets in the new year? To make sense of all of this and more, let's welcome back to the program our regular commentator on all matters financial, Richard Das, former banker and author of several books, including his latest Fortune's Fool, Australia's Choices, and A Banquet of Consequences Reloaded. Welcome back, Das. Nice to be with you, Phil. Now, no one's talking about the financial crises, so would you take me through their magnitude? I've, I've got a list from one of the producers. There's a hell of a lot that's been going on. Well, it's almost biblical. We've had pestilence, COVID-19. We have war in Ukraine, Yemen, and the Congo. We have famine real in some places, and high food and energy prices. I don't know whether the Bible said anything about a slow-motion financial crisis, but we seem to have one. I sort of did a back-of-an-envelope calculation, and I think the world wealth destruction in this year, and it's still got six weeks or so to go, sorry, five weeks to go, is about $30 trillion. Now, to put that into perspective, that's probably a little higher than the 2008 GFC. And you were talking about stock markets. Well, globally, they're down about just a little over 20%. The US is down 15 but it was down about 20%. But you're absolutely correct. Technology stocks have been hammered. Facebook or Meta, as it's now known, is down nearly 70%. And that means they've lost, in terms of their share market value, about $700 billion. And Amazon is now on record as the first company to lose $1 trillion in market value. And as you said, interest rates have gone up. House prices, well, you know, it's the default Australian religion and many people are sort of predicting falls of anywhere up to 20%. But the thing that really puzzles me, Philip, is nobody's talking about any of this. So it's sort of kind of weird. We talk about everything else, but we're not talking about this. Surely Tesla hasn't gone down. Oh, come on. Tesla's halved in value. And uh, I'm I'm just waiting to see what happens with Mr. Musk and Twitter. There's an old joke in finance. How do you get to be a millionaire? You start with a billion dollars. Well, maybe perhaps Mr. Musk might illustrate that. Now, would you be kind enough to tell me what the hell's going on with cryptocurrencies? Because they're down about 70%. Look, cryptocurrencies, uh, I'm a bit like you. It's a bit hard to tell uh, what's going on there. But one comment I would make is the value's gone from about $3 trillion down about 70% to $800 billion. But the number has always been meaningless. And let me explain why that's the case. The way these numbers are worked out is kind of bizarre. So let's say we take Late Night Live and say we want to make it a private enterprise and raise some money. So we go along to somebody and, Philip, you say to this investor, I'll give you 10% of the company if you get 10 mil- if you give me $10 million. So immediately people then ascribe a value because you've got $10 million for 10%, so the company's suddenly worth $100 million, whether it makes money or not. And that's part of 
cryptocurrencies and this whole technology bubble that's grown up. But the good news is that while they've lost $2.2 trillion on paper, it seems to be a closed system. That is, there's a whole bunch of crypto investors and crypto companies investing in each other. But so far, quite thankfully, they don't appear to be connected with the traditional financial system or the real economy. Are you and saying they operate like a parallel universe? I think that's a very good description. There's a parallel reality that exists out there. And, uh, you know, uh, us doubters are very much in the outer, as it were. And the real effect only has been on some investors. And in Australia, there was a story today about some people putting their retirement funds into that. And they have lost money. But compared to what we've seen in previous crises, the effect on the financial system is relatively modest so far that there will be some wealth effects down the track because people have obviously lost some money. But I think it's like what Cho and Lai said about the French Revolution. It's a bit too early to tell what's <laughs> going to happen with cryptos. Are cryptocurrencies listed on stock exchanges? No, they're not, actually. It's sort of this parallel universe or private wealth markets which exist. And there are some that are listed like Bitcoin and so forth, but there's not many. And a lot of the money that's gone into cryptos has gone into these private markets. And you've actually hit the nail on the head. There's a little problem brewing, and I think that'll play out in 2023. Now, if you actually look at the moment, people have some losses. People, obviously, with mortgages are suffering from higher interest rates, though, to be very fair, savers are getting better returns on their term deposits and so forth. Most of these losses so far are on paper. But what I'm really worried about is that the full losses haven't come in to account, as it were. That's because a lot of people's savings in terms of pension funds and superannuation savings have gradually moved from listed assets, which you can see on the stock market and is reported in the papers, to private unlisted assets. These are property, there's infrastructure, there are private companies, there's crypto, there's venture capital, and these prices aren't available. And what I'm really worried about is having seen what's happened at FTX and a few other examples, that these are being affected by higher rates, low economic growth, and probably the flow of money into here has dried up. And these will probably be marked down over time because there's no market prices. These things are looked at periodically and people say, well, what do you think it's worth? And what is really worrying is so-called sophisticated investors like, say, the Ontario's Teachers Pension Fund, BlackRock, SoftBank, and even the Singapore government seem to have done a lot of money in terms of FTX and also some very sophisticated private investors. So what I'm really worried about is how much of this stuff is out there and we'll only find out, basically, uh, I think over the next 12 to 18 months, and the news mightn't be good. I remember you trying to explain to me that crypto prides itself being outside the regulatory system, but now there has to be deafening calls for regulation, surely. 
Well, I think one of the funniest things about regulation is the whole point of cryptos is to actually go outside traditional structures. So it's kind of ironic that they're now calling for greater regulation. So it's almost like they're going, well, now that it's all gone haywire, could somebody come and save me? But I think the more important thing is there are people in power in the regulatory world who now want to regulate it. That's dangerous. And the reason it's dangerous, because once you regulate it, you become responsible for it. And given its anarchic nature, I'm not sure that regulators are up to regulating it. But that debate will play out because there's a lot of political gains to be made out of regulating these types of things. So I think that'll play out over the next little while. We began our conversation by you going down a checklist of various financial crises that no one is talking about. Has Australia been shielded from some of them? I think Australia has done very, very well. And the reasons are not surprising. For instance, the Australian share market's only down probably roughly 5%. And that's because we don't firstly have a lot of technology companies. The second is the major companies on our bourse are basically resource companies who have obviously benefited from higher commodity prices because, as you know, iron ore prices, liquid natural gas prices and coal prices have gone up. And the other big area in our stock market, for instance, is the banks. And they usually benefit from higher interest rates because generally their margins between what they borrow at and what they lend at improve because they pass on the borrowing costs, the higher borrowing costs immediately, but deposit rates always seem to mysteriously lag. Now, so we've been to some extent... uh buffeted or protected during this turbulent time. What, what's the effect of all this on the gladdies and the bodies thus far? Well, I think it depends. I think, as we were saying, mortgage holders obviously are getting hurt and savers are getting a little more money in terms of interest. But the thing you've got to remember is that most of these losses are on paper so far. They're not going to actually be realised unless you have to sell. But I think what we're going to see is that people who are approaching retirement or have retired, unless the prices bounce back, will suffer losses. To give you an idea, around 90% of all super, uh, superannuation funds in Australia went backwards in the first half of 2022. So I think that's the major impact. And what we were talking about earlier, which is these problems in private markets, which might flow through, but it'll take a while for us to know what's going on. Okay, now let's talk about the four Ps. Oh, the four Ps. The four Ps have to do with the fact that the first is pause. Now, to give you a bit of background, there's a little bit of wishful thinking going on among investors and everybody else who thinks that the the future is going to be a little better than perhaps it might. And the first one is the pause, as I mentioned, because they're assuming that the central banks will pause their increasing interest rates. And then there is a second B, which is peak, that the interest rates won't rise to the levels that people feared. Then there is what is known as the pivot, which is the third P. It's also known as the downshift. So as the economy slows down, which it is, then the authorities will cut rates and pump more money in as they've done over the last you know, decade and a half to support the economy. And so asset prices will start to go up again. And the last P is the put. 
So it's just saying that if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, central banks will rush in and bail out investors if things get bad. Now, I really worry about two other Ps, which is pain and panic. Because if the first four Ps don't occur, there's going to be a lot of pain and there's certainly going to be panic. You know, before you came into my life, I used to often chat on the program with John Kenneth Galbraith. In fact, we once uh, visited him at his his home on the campus and he famously coined the term bezel to describe the defrauding of ordinary investors. Do you think that's what we are seeing? Yeah, John Kenneth Galbraith uh, coined the phrase, I think, from memory in his book about the great crash of 1929. And what he did was he took the word embezzle and he dropped the EM off it. And the whole concept of it is this is where there is theft, but there's a long period of time between when the crime occurs and when you discover it. So the person who's been robbed continues to feel a lot richer because he doesn't know he's lost money, so he continues to live normally. Now, what Galbraith was saying, that when times are good, and as we've seen over the last 12 years, because of low interest rates and so forth, people have done well on their investments. What happens during that period is bezel increases. And we've seen that since 2009, because people couldn't get interest, high interest rates on their investments, and monetary conditions were very loose. So people moved out and started to take on more and more risk. And as you know, nobody can really stop someone determined to get rich quickly. And so they've actually taken on a lot of risks. And you were talking about cryptocurrencies, and cryptocurrency is the perfect example of that because the guy behind FTX is a guy called Sam Bankman Fried, or as somebody called him the other day, Sam Bankman Deep Fried now. (laughs) And he was being hailed as the JP Morgan of cryptos about a week before the whole thing collapsed. And now we find that basically what has happened is that, you know, the guy who's been appointed as the receiver in bankruptcy, a guy called John Ray III, who ironically also handled Enron, Mm. he says he's never seen such a failure or lack of financial records. And so, you know, all of these very high-flying companies run by a gang of youngsters in the Bahamas who were either a mixture of cronies, groupies, or cuties, as he put it, is starting to be exposed. And high technology stocks, the whole boom in renewables, electric vehicles are other examples. And I think this will come to be exposed over the next probably little bit. Now, you've revealed to us the meaning of bezel. I'd like finally to ask you to translate the term zugzwang. Oh, zugzwang is a term from chess. And I'll put it into context. I think what is very, very clear now is the era of ultra-cheap money and debt-driven growth and borrowing like there's no tomorrow has come to an end. And as that's happened, what we're finding now with the mixture of inflation, low growth, high debt is that central banks, et cetera, have completely run out of runway room and their credibility with their mistakes over the last 18 months or so in inflation have been exposed. So they got very little in the way of policy options left. And Zugzwang is a term that the Germans use for chess. That's when you have to make a move. 
and looking at the chessboard, you suddenly realize that no matter what move you make, it's a bad one and you're going to lose. So the world's in a case of zugzwang. On that happy note, I shall thank you. Uh, good on you, Das, former banker, author of several books, including 2021's A Banquet of Consequences Reloaded and in 2022, Fortune's Fool, Australia's Choices. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.